0: I need to know everything, who in the what and the where, I need everything Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's know what you're telling me I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five on a horse, I'm ready for war I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk Gotta keep quiet, maneuvering signs to let them in about Hello and, talk Hell well body, and welcome JK Plus One, JK+1. Cool. I, I am not your host, PTF um, Where's PTF at? He, he like stole, I think he stole something from somebody at Jeff Ruby's. I got a random text message the morning after. Uh, there was a Thursday night, Friday morning. I got a text message from someone that we, we met at Jeff Ruby's who, who said that, you know, there's a bottle of something that has my son's name on it. Can you please help me find it? And it, well, I, didn't, I didn't take it, so it had to be Pete. So I'm sure it was Pete who, uh, I'm just kidding. I don't think he took it. I think that, that guy just lost it. I am your host, Jonathan Kinchen, and uh, I am back from Louisville it was wild. Oddly enough, I went to Louisville to work on Wednesday and Thursday. We had those two seminars. I was on America's Day at the races. And then I left Friday morning to go to my son's flag football game in Austin, who I was coaching. So I left Friday. Uh, He was sick. So I, I, we didn't even play the game. I ended up flying back on Saturday to New York, watched the derby in the airport. It was, it was wild. It was wild. So um but uh, we 're back now and and uh, the Preakness is around the corner, but uh before we get to the derby and uh, the derby winner and the derby winners owner, um I want to talk a little bit about our friends at Qatar Racing, who had an outstanding weekend um we've got uh, we got ever so mischievous mischievous, mischievous that won the Kind of the walkout race, the get-out race on Derby Day. A, a horse that we were excited about first time out that got beat, comes back and wins. We've got Caravelle, who is, without a doubt, the best turf sprinter in the U.S., and I think pretty soon we'll find out if uh, you can tag in the best turf sprinter in the world. And the Philly, that I had nothing to do with this, by the way, because everyone knows that listen to this podcast how, how close I am with Jake Ballas, Maddie, Matt Miller of Black Type Thoroughbreds. Uh, and, and my relationship with Qatar Racing as it pertains to this podcast. Uh, they got a horse together in partnership. Um, I think it's you almost had me that, that, for Brad Cox that won the stake on Thursday uh, at Churchill Down. So uh, a heck of a weekend for Qatar Racing and uh, always want to thank them for their support. This week, I I, I got my friend Romero Restrepo. Um, he's going to be on a lot of things. He's going to talk about a lot of stuff. I can promise you that this interview will be different because we're friends. So I'm not asking him a lot of the generics. He, he's, he's, we've, we've spent lots of time together, so there's no reason to, uh, to, to be too formal. So a a lot of fun stories here from Romero and, uh, in about 10 seconds, I'm going to start singing a song, but don't worry about it. I'll explain it a little bit later. I like it like that. I like it like that. it like that. I hope you put that as the intro.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you got hip hop before, but I want to hear that one for this
0: one. Oh my God, Ramiro! Uh, well, first of all, man, like I I I texted you leading up to the race, and and I you know and look, I I saw you with the with the Miami jacket on, standing on the on the rail in the morning, and I just you know I, I saw you you know in interviews and stuff, and I just texted you, man. I enjoy the ride. And that was me texting you. I don't think Mage could win. Enjoy the ride because 100%. it's cool that you got here <laughs> and it's cool that you got here and you might as well damn enjoy it, man. Cause it's a cool thing. But uh, you went ahead and reverse dunked on me and, and got your picture taken too.
1: Sometimes you got a Dominique Wilkins,
0: Tomahawk it <laughs> right on your, right on their heads. <laughs> how, how, and- uh, how was the ride? How, how's the ride been?
1: Man, you know, Jonathan, I I, I've heard you speak about your, your father and how emotional that is. And you know, the connection that horse racing has uh, to familial ties uh, touches us all, man. And whenever you end up uh, having any kind of success, and the backbone of it is family, whether you have success as a horse owner, bloodstock agent, in your case, as a horse player and as an analyst with your success, And you know that the seed, that the root of it is family, bro. It touches you in a place in your soul, man, that uh, it's hard not to get emotional because you know where it comes from with with that family not being here any longer. And you know how that is. You know, for, for ourselves, my maternal grandfather, you know, he was Hulk Hogan you know, for us, you know, he brought over a family of, of uh, you know, his wife and seven kids, my mother being the youngest of the seven, and, uh, you know, from the rip, knowing that they had to reset their lives, because brothers, 1960, late 1960s, isn't 2023, the world is, you know, completely changed, you, you coming over 1960, without speaking English, you're lucky if, you know, you know, you're giving any you're giving any opportunity. So they went from being breeders, owners, trainers, jockeys to having to muck stalls, grooming, hot walking, uh, building their way up to foreman to trainer, um, and even owning a couple of horses. So seeing that uh firsthand dedication, um so many people that we know, because obviously bro, we know so many families in the game, right, successful families that have had that that come from money, that have successful uh, generations of success and much respect to them, props and everything. But uh, while I can't say that, you know, in this country, especially the last three generations that have had any success, but what they have had is like the dedication, the time, you know. Living at the track, living in the barns, living in, in, in tack rooms, uh, devoting themselves to the horse, bro. You know, going by the creed, I was born at the track, I'm gonna die at the track. You know what I mean? So, to have been able to fulfill a dream because it really was a genie in a bottle dream for them to one that I heard since I was a kid that oh, I, we would, I wish we could have a starter in the Derby. You know, the goal, we're one day we're gonna have a one day we're going to have a horse in the derby and that that one day never came never came for my grandfather he passed away and for my two uncles who are in their late 70s and early 80s never came so for me to be the one and it's a, it's something that happens in racing you see a lot of these families that you know in the end the, the great-grandson or the grandson doesn't keep it going and the, and that that lineage and that involvement in thoroughbred racing dies out and they sell off the stock and they sell off the farm and and it's a wrap. Um, in our little world, that was the last. I'm the last. of The Mohicans, bro. I'm Daniel Day Lewis. Like that's it. It ends with me. And uh, to have them come to the derby, to have my mother come to the derby, to have my uncles at in there at that age do that walk, and then win this motherfucker.
0: Shit, man. Come on, man. What do you think? It's crazy. I, I tell you what, my, my, my favorite part of, you know, the AVR video they did was awesome. Um, and, and they do a great job with those and, and, and what a great, you know, what a, what a great lightning in a bottle moment to, to, to pick you um, to, to, to cover. But my favorite part of it is in, in, in knowing you and, and being friends with you. My, my favorite part of it was obviously when you were rooting, but we've, I've seen that a million times. I've also <laughs> seen, I've also seen the root end with, with, with uh, a program being thrown cursed words and a long walk right i i know how that video could have ended but it ended with you repeatedly saying ganamos yeah and and uh and that grabbed me by my throat because you know obviously it it's you, you could have said you you could have said we won um but that's that's not the, the the native language of your family. And
1: I don't even know why I said it. I, I don't know why I said anything. I just like, I don't know. Uh, I, I've seen some funny comments as to what I was saying. Uh, I, I started out calling mage pops. I started then calling him Papa. Um, then I, I switched to come on hobby and, uh, going back and forth in the languages. I call him Pops in English, Papa in Spanish. Then I went, <laughs> come on Javi in English. And then for some reason, when I turned to my family, it just, my brain switched leads to Spanish. And then <laughs> I didn't know what else to say. I, it was like my, you know, I got to speak to Jim Valvano's uh, brother on, on uh, his station on ESPN, his radio station yesterday. And uh, brother, you know, how many times have we seen the clip of Jimmy V, you know, uh, running for that hug after upsetting, after upsetting Faisalama Jamma, you know? So I turned around and I had my, my huggies already with me, but I felt that Jimmy V moment, like, just like, holy shit, you know? <laughs> Cause you lose it, bro. You lose it. You, you really lose it. You go back and you, you know, Nick Zito losing it when he won, with Strike the gold, he's like thanking America and he loves everybody. He's going bananas and uh, Karl Nasker with Francis or You know, you did it, you know, you won the Derby. He kisses her, and everybody's you lose it, bro. You lose it like there's I, I it's an out of body experience. You're you, it, it, it's indescribable. You're you're on autopilot, bro. It's it's one of the most insane things, it's the most insane thing of my life, and uh, I mean, that. Uh, <laughs> The fact that we're talking about it is how I know that it's real, bro. Uh, other than that, I'm still, I'm still thinking someone's going to pull out the camera, you know, the, the Ashton Kutcher camera and say, you're being punked. So,
0: you know, listening, like a, when, when they had Tom Amos mic'd up when Serengeti Empress won. And I think at one point he says that his wife said, you know, they're, they're, they're going too fast. And he said, not for this Philly. And I, I thought about that moment when listening to you watch the race, because, it was almost and we do this to ourselves, like when you're when you have a bet, when you bet a horse, when you're rooting for a horse, whatever it might be in the middle of the race, you try to convince yourself that the circumstances are, are OK, that they're like it's what's happening is OK, because, you know, major was a little bit further back than I think that visually on paper, you would think he would. When you open your eyes and you see where Mays is sitting in the race, you didn't see him there. But then you looked at the fractions, and, and and I and I saw you like reassuring your family that they're going fast, they're going, they're flying in front of us.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I love to to play the horses. I love to read PPs. You're a horse player. Um, we read PPs, and you know that going for a mile and a quarter when you're going twenty two forty five one ten, you have to be an absolute machine to uh to keep rolling. So. And I know that the horse, the way that Gustavo has been training the horse, it was going to be the second half of the race that the horse has been taught to start picking it up, you know, because we do know that he's got a, a, like, you know, I have to speak in in a, in, a, in a, from like a third person's point of view because I don't want to sound like, I want to talk about the horse like an analyst, not like as a owner or or, or agent, which is, it's been a long time since there's been a dirt horse with a turn of foot that can kick on from the back of the pack i mean it's been countless years that we see horses and and i'm not talking about like like horses that w- we've been seeing like the the the, the way that the, the the american racing is gravitating is go as front go, go to lead and, and go hit to the front and go as far and as fast as you can for as for as long as you can And, um, and this horse has like a, a, it's like a turf horse turn of foot, which is like, you can relax and sit. And when you, when you ask him, he's going to give you, I mean, he's going to, he's going to bring it, he's going to bring it. Like he's going to fly home. He did it in the Florida Derby and he did it here. It's just something that we've learned uh, about him. So I knew that the way that Gustavo has been training him the last eight weeks has been to settle because the horse has shown that he's got the capacity to do that. And when called upon, it, he needed a jockey that was in a ride that was going to be more skilled hands and heels, than necessarily the physicality to carry them home. And when they win those fractions, and it, and 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 he started picking it up how he's been taught. Uh, by the time they got to the 38th pole, he started. You know, he he went from 16th to to ranged up fifth in like. Uh, a couple strides. He's like a little Porsche. I mean, his zero to 60 is, is is 1.2. And, um, and then I lost it because they turned from home and now they come into view and you know, they're ranging up and anyone, horse player, horse owner, fan, all you want is that route. So the minute I saw him ranging up, I turned to someone who's either trying to cash a trophy or trying to cash a bet and we've all rooted and you've seen me root bets for the good and for the bad. And, um, <laughs> you know, this time it, it, it all worked out. So you, you got to see a fun one there, dude.
0: No, you're right, man. That's a, that's one thing is, is, is he did, his move was so quick. Like it was like, he wasn't there and then he was there and it was, uh, it, it, it is a, it is a, a, a unique thing now. Cause I think a lot of good horses, um, that are trained by you know the 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 best trainers in the world, especially in these dirt races, and Todd and and Brad Cox and Baffert. They're they're you're right. They're four types that you know just kind of keep going, and it's it feels like I don't know. I mean, I'm probably going too far back, but you know, it feels like street sense types where where they were you know these elite horses that come from off of it and. And, uh, and, and it's, it, it is a wonder because the, the paces are honest in these big races nowadays, a majority of the time, because yep. of the, what, you know, what you're, what you're talking about. Um, th- what were you worried about leading into the race? Were you confident? Were you, were you kind of conceding that, 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 the, the victory was that we're here? What, what were your thoughts the day of leading up to the race?
1: Um, a lot of my, a lot of, a lot of our friends, uh, Bo Brahmagen, Johnny Greathouse, Jay Goodwin, uh, guys that, that well, we all know real well, man, that they're in the business and stuff like I chat with them during the week. I'd see them and everybody was like, yo, why are you so calm? Like, like you should be, you know, you, you know, you should be, <laughs> you know, crapping your pants. Like, like, can you believe it? And uh, of course, of, of, for, for me, I do realize I'm in the race and that's an amazing accomplishment out of the whole full crop. You got 20, you made it to that, you know, to that super, I was super appreciative and very like, you know, from a, like, like we started the show. I was like, yo, know, for my, my, you know, grandpa, we did it, man. Like we I, like what you wanted, bro. We did it. But, um, you know, I've been using that Le- the LeBron that app called the calm app, which has a lot of like, uh, mental straining from 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 LeBron and, and, and some other athletes that are on there. And a lot of it, you know, the kind of short and curly is like, live in the moment live in the present, like in the now don't worry about scenarios that are out of your control. And don't worry about what's happened in the past because that's over. So living in the present, every day, I'd see the horse uh, doing things that showed his maturity, man. You have a son and you see Austin going through maturity in his own right. And I'm sure there are moments that catch you and you're like, man, my kids growing up, whether it's a conversation that he might have or uh, an athletic thing that he might do or or something that he might do in school that you might do a double take. Same thing goes with these horses, bro. They mature quicker, obviously, than, than, than we do as people, you know, two to three, three to four whatever. And through their three year old year and I saw these things because I, I hang around the barn a lot, you know, uh, you know, I was here for a good nine days and at Gulfstream, he trains home. And I don't, my job full-time is horse racing. So the barn and, and, and Gulfstream or wherever we are, the racing is my office. So I, I get to be there and, and, and be that fly on the wall, seeing things. And the horses was just doing everything like better than he did previously and he and and he he enjoyed that surface more than he enjoyed the gulf stream surface he did personally and um the humidity in florida was was, was getting to be tough on him and he loved this cool weather here so like you could see his everything about him his, his energy levels it's like you per, when if you have a great meal and you pass out and you sleep like a lion and you wake up and your eyes are clear and you feel like a beast like we are we have an efficient day but if we have like a terrible flight and we sleep like shit and and you haven't eaten and you're cranky and you're annoyed you might perform like shit but he's had such a, a flawless time at churchill i was like man he is like wow And you know i'm seeing my kid change before my eyes so I knew that between... Look, Craig Bernico always tells me, and he's slapped me on the hand several times and says, you know, his quote about engaging uh, into arguments with uh, people that have pseudonyms, fake (laughs) monikers, and fake profile photos. Don't smarten up a dummy. Don't smarten up a dummy. And I've avoided getting into those exchanges, but I read because I'm very observant and, you know, we're all on, on social media quite a bit. And at the same time, brother, everybody's allowed to give their opinions. Everyone. It's what we're here for. You're a fan, you're a horse player, you're a whatever. You want to give you an expert, you have your podcast, you have your blog, you have your page, you have your YouTube thing. Cool, bro. Go on and say whatever you want to say, because all you're doing is just showing the world what your level of expertise is and you're giving your opinion and you're standing by it. Fantastic, no problem. I'm not here to, to disagree with you. It got me once or twice when someone would insult my horse because there's the personal connection. It's like, wait a minute, you're calling my kid a bad word or or a derogatory fashion and that kind of annoyed me. But but you know, again, the Craig Burnick line. So I just stayed quiet, but I respect Forte. He is still, he's the, he, leading up to the Kentucky Derby, he was the favorite and the justified favorite. And he has not done anything wrong. You know, like in sports, if you win in game seven, four, three, and you hit the winning jumper, are you going to degrade the runner up? For losing that are you going to degrade the winner excuse me that he didn't sweep the series no he won the trophy it's over like you're not thinking oh that that it was a a razor thin decision that they went you know they went to the seventh game and it was a game-winning jumper and oh he got lucky to win no man like he won period that's it you know uh soccer oh it was a they went into overtime and you know, the golden goal won the game and, uh, you know, you degrade the winner that he only won 1-0, I do not. That I leave that in the hands of figure makers and uh, people who want to sell their opinions and and and, and make them a living. If that's what you want to do, brother, go for it. I myself, a win is a win. Forte did what he had to do, but we lost to him by six and three-quarter lengths. And four weeks later, he beat me by arguably three quarters of a length. So I made up six lengths on him in in one month. What I'm getting at, and uh, this has been a, a, a hot take topic, but these gallop outs, correct. You don't get a paycheck for a gallop out. You don't cash a bet for a gallop out. But what you get is a clue. On our gallop out of the Florida Derby, It's not that Forte broke off and got 20 in front or that we switched back to our wrong lead and fell back by 100 lengths. And there was a huge disparity. On the contrary, I know that Louis, when he felt Forte coming up on him, started hollering at the horse and the horse tried to respond. But unfortunately, in the laws of physics and momentum, Forte was already on top. The race was over and Forte won fair and square. But what you know is that the horse, it it was too late. But he re-engaged and he tried and he, if you look at the gallop out, he's galloping out with Forte and he's, he's pulling his head, like, like wanting to keep going. So I knew that a fitness wise, the 10 furlongs were within our scope. B we discovered the new dimension on the horse, not just in practice, but now on game day, we saw the new dimension on the horse and what it gave me was confidence in knowing that if we made up six lengths on the favorite in four weeks, that in another five weeks, if everything stayed according to plan and we know things can change on a dime that he was going to give us another really, really good effort. And, and, and if that good effort put us in the stratosphere of the favorite of the race, We'd have we'd be in the fight, which is all you can ask for in horse racing, bro. That like you're in the game, you're there, you're in that, you're 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 punching from the eighth pole home or a quarter pole. You you know down the stretch they come and here we go and and you can give that route. That's all you can ask for, and that's why I was like cool and calm because every everything was on on the preparation point of view, everything was going right, and I had and I knew what I knew about my horse. So regardless of what people were saying, regardless of what they thought of his workouts, which they don't, they don't know. People don't know. It was just keep on rolling. So I was just enjoying the moment, man. Enjoying my mom being there, my brother being there, my uncles and aunts being there, enjoying my friends that were there. The laughing, the joking, you know, the BSing that we all do when we see each other at the track and mess around, bat, talk smack. It was be present. And um, even when the ABR guys were filming me, getting teased by by friends of mine that were there and that didn't it didn't make the cut of the, of the film, but getting teased and, you know, just it was so loose because I was like, we were here. Horse is doing good. I'm surrounded by friends and family. What more could I ask for? And I know that my horse is doing real. Well, so we're not going to get embarrassed. We're going to be in the mix. I thought before the race, if you would have put me on, you know, if I was a analyst, my analyzation was, all right, give Tapitrice his due, give Angel of uh, Empire his due, give um, Forte his due, um, and uh, the San Diego Derby winner, practical move, give him his due. They won the the big four, they won the Orange Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Rose Bowl, and the Fiesta Bowl, all good. But when it came to the runner-ups, Of all the big four, I'm like, we're fifth as of the day after that race, those prep races, me. So I'm like, as a horse player, you don't get paid dick for finishing fifth. And I get it. But as a horseman, if we were to run fifth in the Kentucky Derby, I'm a good fifth, I'm like, wow, you know, that's a really awesome, respectable race. We did the right thing. Or if we want to run a good fourth, so practical move, obviously. Scratched and forte scratched. I'm like, we are arguably, in my opinion, one of the top three horses in this race. So, when you have the personal factors there, the private factors there, how am I not just going to be enjoying the love that's around me and the circumstances that were presenting themselves?
0: and you talk about being present and you know the one thing that that I kept thinking about after I saw the race and <clears throat> I'll tell you my story how what happened with me I I watched it in the airport so that's a whole <laughs> other story but um I just kept like you know I was laughing like I cannot believe Ramiro just won the derby and then I thought oh this is going to be hilarious watching Ramiro Hold court all the way through all of the different scenarios that are going to come after the race, right? Like you're gonna, you gotta, you gotta get across the track into the infield. Then you're in the winner circle, and you're, you're you got the trophy and the the pictures, and then you're the interviews, and then you're going to the champagne room, and then the 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 the, the post the press conference, and then dinner that night and all that. Like just you know, give us the give us the the the, the quick overview as, as someone who has likely because of your involvement in the game has been present for so many other people's experience of that huge life-changing score of a lifetime moment. What was it like being in that moment, uh, in the after aftermath?
1: Um, it was awesome to feel the love, bro. It, 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 it's a uh, friendships, are, are, and our relationships are, 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 are is the foundation of, of my being man, because I, 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 I genuinely love to show love. And I'm genuinely happy for people's success. I'll never forget the happiness when Cigar Street won the skip away for Jake at Gulfstream Park. I can't remember how many years ago. It feels like if it was a hundred years ago. Seeing him root his horse, big ass Jake's eight feet tall, fucking shaking and baking and, and, and twisting his body and pumps fist pumping this horse home. And how we were all in that winter circle. Go look up the Cigar Street Winter circle. It's 3,000 people in there and it's bananas. When Bo Daddy Brahmagen Beat the monster at that moment of newspaper of record in the Edgewood with concrete rows, and we went bananas. We were slapping Bo on the head with the racing form like ten people. Like if he was the horse, we went. We was fucking crazy. We went bananas for Bo that day. When you when you share those kind of moments with with your friends, dude, I've I've I've, I've rooted scores with Chris Pippito. That him and I are in on a pick four or pick five and, and 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 we're bringing home a horse for us to cash. Or I remember like an, an Oaks trifecta, Pharaoh's year that paid pretty decent that Chris and I hit. Uh, a double of Animal Kingdom into, um, oh my God, he's I'm going to kill myself for not knowing this filly. It was AK, it was something, it was that long shot filly. She went like the Devana Dale into, into Animal Kingdom and me and, and Pepito rooted that thing home like like maniacs, like absolute maniacs. And when Chris won, you know, with Angel the Grade One at Keeneland, um, and dude, we can give examples of of this, giving that love to your boys, that you're going bananas. It's amazing because you're you're an extension of their of their crew, and 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 you're like, bro. Remember when you hit you Dom and Rashard, what hit that pick six at 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 Breeders Cup? It was like <laughs> it was like rock stars, dude. It was ah. Every bananas. So like and and finally Deuce remember when Deuce won with Teppan at Royal Ascot, bro? <laughs> like, so you remember those things, and then you win the race. I'm with my family. I come down. I see Nick Luck like sort of approaching me with with, with the uh, you know you know with this with NBC, you know, with the mic and the camera. And all of a sudden, Jay Goodwin, Johnny Greathouse, uh, Bob Bromagen, and Black Rob Walton—I don't even know how those guys even made it down before me. They're on the dirt, on the you know between the turf and the dirt course, and they have bum rushed me like rugby players. Like if I was getting mugged on the street, and it was just a melee that we, we must have knocked Nick Luck back 10 feet against the railing. He was in shock, like, what is going on here? And it was a mosh pit of just getting slapped and kicked and punched and hugged and kissed and grabbed. Ah, Bro, that feeling, dude, of having that love from your friends. And then you cross over to the grass and there's even more friends there. And everybody's kissing and whooping, hollering your sweat and your clothes, your suits r- were gone nuts Bro, how do you how do you express that, man? That's priceless. That's that's the Visa commercial stuff, man. It's priceless to get that reciprocated back to you. That to me was uh that to me was 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 like my explosion of emotion, you know, um that, that I had, man. That was the best, man. That was the best. Well-
0: well, now it's gonna get it's it's gonna be pretty interesting, a little behind the scenes, sir. I'm sure people who have have read and and heard, but you know you got a ne- you got a hectic couple of weeks here now because there's a lot going on. First of all, uh, it's it's coming up on Timonium, which is which is relevant for a couple of reasons. One, because you work with Phasig. Two, because this is where you bought Mage last year. Uh, so I I I'd assume you'll be busy handling that. And then oh, by the way, you have a horse that's still alive in the Triple Crown. What the hell are you going to do for the next two and a half weeks?
1: Uh, that's a great question, man. I, I don't think there's anything that I can prepare you for that. Uh, it, it started with the Winter Circle photo, that intensity of a Winter Circle photo, the trophy presentation, you're meeting the governor. And then from there, J.K., I had these two mountain of mountain-sized uh, state troopers, bro. These guys were like the biggest white guys I've ever seen in my life. They were like they were like two super juiced-up Jake Ballaces, you know? <laughs> 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 and they grab you by the arm, and they're taking you, like, through the crowd. And, like, you know, you got cameras being stuck in your face, and you're sweating. I'm like, I'm like my phone died in the, I remember when, when mage was coming at me in the winter circle, I was like, Oh my God, I got to film this walk-in. And I take out my phone, my phone no battery. It was like, I was instantly back in 1997 where phones didn't, cell phones didn't exist. <laughs> and I lost my mom, lost my family, lost all my friends. The cops are taking me to the press conference. I'm, uh, cameras are being stuck in my face as I'm trying to get there. Uh, it, people screaming everywhere. Uh, It starts pouring rain. Uh, You get to the press conference room and then you're being asked uh, tons of questions from all types of reporters of all kinds of variations. And then once that happens, I walked out of there and it's like the only lifeline that I had was Black Rob Walton, Rob Walton, he was like, he, he was the only that had a phone, like on three percent battery. And at least with that, we were able to guide ourselves to the barn to to to. You know, we were able to find where Gustavo was going and at the very least have a, you know, have an idea of where to go. But, you know, I, I lost my family. They went back to Lexington and then all of a sudden, like. When I finally was able to charge my phone. Like, I've never had this in my life because I never had a child being born. I've never been married. Uh, And there was no cell phones when I graduated college. So I've never had a a life experience that people could congratulate me uh, or or whatever. So, you know, know, that people do that. that I never had a reason that people needed to reach out to me in that fashion. And man, classmates that I haven't seen in forever, ex nightlife coworkers and old friends from my nightlife days. Uh, classmates from Miami, like the mayor of Coral Gables and the mayor of, uh, of Miami, who are my boys from from high school and, and college, hitting me up, sending me FaceTimes, my best friends that uh, now are married with children, or you know, you don't, you unfortunately can't stay in touch with them as, as often as you did, family members from all over the planet, like all over the planet, like 2,000 between Twitter, DMs. Uh, Instagram DMs and and posts and messages, Facebook, which uh, and then your DMs of your cell phone, do it out like two thousand messages, and it took me until yesterday to get back to every single one. I I, I tried, I
0: got back, I did do it, I got back to
1: every single person.
0: Um,
1: now comes the next wave of communication, which is all these people amazingly asking to want to hear either my story or my point of view or get to know me more or ask questions and it's wild because I, I'm like how'd you even get my number uh how'd you even know to get a hold of me um it's a lot to take in because some people you don't even know who they represent or you know what 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 the agenda is or what's the plan here uh, you know you're being asked for for your time. And it's quite interesting. And then on on the business front, uh, a lot of scenarios are uh, being discussed with the horse and his, uh, you know, uh, post racing future. So a lot of things. And then on top of that, correct, you know, the, the Bree shows coming up Mother's Day is on Sunday. Um, the Brie show is, starts on Tuesday and it's a full week. So then it's a full slate of the day. And, uh, you're one person and uh, you're being pushed and pulled in a lot of ways, man. So, um uh, it's very unique. Uh, I'm just trying to organize things mentally to see where the priorities are and, uh, to try to grasp it, man. But it's bananas. Luckily, uh, you know, Gustavo. Well, for starters, the horse came out of the race. Awesome. So, that being the first order of business, the horse is in great shape. The horse feels good. He was bright-eyed and feeling good. Like, so we're like, all right, cool. That that that's like a big you know sigh of relief. Everything is great there. And then I know that Gustavo and Junior. You know, I don't know if people notice Gustavo won two triple crowns in South America. And while the, um, you know, the class of, of horse is different, uh, the timing and the spacing of the races and things like that are, are familiar. So uh, and he's won and participated in big races here. So it's not like uh, this is out of his element in any way. So I know that from a horseman perspective the horse is in, right, in the right hands for this moment, so I don't have to worry myself about that. There's no micromanaging on my end, so at least that, which is the most important of anything, is already handled. Now it's just organizing my time. How can I uh, share it? Which I'm very happy to do because it's, it's a special thing that that uh, you know that that happened not only selfishly, but it's really cool, man, that for a moment, you know, we discussed about growing our game, how much we love our game and and how we would love for our game to uh, become like a football, basketball, baseball, you know, type of thing. And it's a very long road for it to get to that level. But if there's going to be one, one time a year that the spotlight is shown on it, I think as a, as a, as as a, as a person who loves this and anyone who loves this as much as we do, it's your responsibility as a steward of that to give your time to promote and shine a spotlight, not just on me and your accomplishments and say, Hey, I bought a derby winner. I'm the man. And, you know, let me get your business, but show the beauty that does come from this game show the joy that this game does bring out because it genuinely does and uh and, and put our put, you know for that brief moment that we do get it, do our best to you know to, to to make us shine as best as possible man so i i do want to get you know organize that and then you know my responsibility to my personal job which is you know make sure that everything goes smooth at the sale and then uh to the opportunities that have come up over the last year and from the race that if i am going to purchase some horses that i'll be able to you know thoroughly be able to scout and 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 uh analyze and and be able to uh you know purchase some some nice horses there uh, when the sale comes so it's a lot man it's a lot but i'm doing my best to try to be as organized as possible
0: Ramiro, let's go back. uh, Let's go back a little bit. I got some South Florida stuff. Um, (laughs) So, you know, unfortunately, you know, I, 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 we're opposites a little bit where I found the game a little bit later in life and not too late. I mean, I was, you know, 15, 16, 17 when I started to get into it, but there's one thing that I always hear about. I never got the experience and I'd love to talk to someone who knows how I racetrack. You know how I racetrack. We racetrack very similarly. Tell me about Hialeah. I've never, I never got to hang out at Hialeah. I know you were a little bit younger when you were there, but uh, tell me a little bit about Hialeah, what it means to you. So uh, in Florida,
1: up until 1988, you could not have, you could not be under 18 and go to the races. You were not allowed to attend the races. Kids were not allowed to attend the races. New York, yes, but not, 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 not Florida tracks. So when I was, five, uh, no, 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 no more, uh, five, six, seven, eight, when I was between seven and eight years old, we moved to Florida to Miami. And naturally, uh, my parents obviously wanted to attend the races. So Hialeah, obviously I was, I wasn't old enough to understand like the geography of how far that was from my home. But, you know, we knew that was the racetrack when you rolled into Hialeah, um, and it's crazy because this day and age it would never happen like the way, the layouts of the tracks how they are and, and uh with security and 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 just the heightened sense of, of 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 how people are these days it would never happen but at hialeah you could literally literally drive your car and roll up on the like you haven't even entered like you you go into the track you haven't gone into the Grand Center Clubhouse. Obviously, it's the track is outside of that of that parameters. But Hialeah was was a private property, you know, with like 20 foot walls or however however many feet that is. That you know were like a compound. So you would drive into those walled off giant compound, and you can roll your car right up onto the rail, like literally, on the, on the fence, without needing a, a horseman's license or or anything. You could just literally drive your car and park it, bam, on the turn. We had a red Volvo. So I would sit on the hood of the red Volvo, and I would watch the races. And then my parents would just walk into the track, make their bets, and take turns, and come back and watch the races from there, bro. So you would see the flight of the flamingos. You'd see the races. And that was my iPad, right? You know, like now parents, hey, the kids, you know, being a pain or You know, the the kids too loud, give the iPad, Let watch the iPad, right? Well, they would sit me on the hood and watch the races. So that was my like, that was my thing. Watch the flight of the flamingos, watch the races of Hialeah. And then when I was 10, they allowed us in. And it was Gulfstream Park. The first day that children were allowed to come in, I was, I was 10 years old. And after the first race, the announcement, the, the, the announcer invited all the children that were there that to come down to take a winner circle photo. And the old Gulfstream used to have a hall of fame foyer hallway where they had all the famous trophies and famous silks. And my picture as one of the kids was in that foyer. I was like the first group of kids that ever took a winner circle photo. Now we're a lot the track, man. So when I was 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, I'd always see my photo in there. So you got a taste of the winter circle as a young kid. And that special feeling never went away, man. And then Calder, another playground, um, had an amazing arcade, you know, like with the machines, Galaga, Street Fighter, NBA Jams, um, you know, or some other great games. that they, uh, Those were the big three that we played. You know, he's on fire. You fucking NBA, you know. <laughs> so you could watch the races and then run around like crazy. And my parents would leave me alone. Like you could be, you know, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever. They were in the turf club or they were in the clubhouse and it was your it was your playground. So you, you know, we we knew some of the tellers, they let you make bets. You learn to read the form, you could make bets, and then we go play in the arcade. So with other kids that were there, so you'd play NBA Jams, Galaga, uh, Street Fighter, and then we'd watch races in between and make some bets. I mean, (laughs) it's no different than what we're doing now. (laughs) I never left fucking Neverland, bro. It's been Peter Pan world still, you know? It's like, it sounds just about what we do now. And so so those Florida tracks as a kid, I mean, You know, luckily I wasn't 12 smoking cigarettes, you know, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) But you'd see, like, I can't even imagine you know, in this climate of 2023, if you look back, you know, wait a minute, this kid's 12 years old, racing for him in his hand, money in his pocket, making wagers like, and playing arcade games all day. Like, how is this good? How is this normal? But it was just the way it was back then, man. So uh, racing for me, you know, and I love sports in general, so I was always like a sports nut, like, you know, you want to talk about NFL, NBA or whatever, we can talk about those sports and football, just the same. But, like, when you're that young and that consumed by horse racing, uh, it sounds wild, because you'll have people my age who will talk to you about cartoons, G.I. Joe, or you know, whatever, X-Men or Spider-Man or whatever, and for me, it was Angel Cordero. He was Spider Man. Uh, Lafitte Binkai, uh, George Velasquez, like Ali Dars, George Velasquez. And then when I was later on, like John Johnny V came up, and you're like, is that his son? You know, like a little thing because you, you know the last names, George Velasquez, Bill Shoemaker. Those were my super my superheroes. And then the horses were like the, you know, like Voltron. Like, you know in in voltron you had the little pilot and they were lions and then they they became like the you know like when the power rangers became like that they all joined forces you know captain planet or whatever uh, the horses were the superheroes and my obsession uh was was encouraged by my grandpa and my uncles because they they take you to the track so like you know i the air in the abr video i was in i was in such a motion you know they were like what happened i'm like I said 92, but it was 93. I'm like, that's like Sea Hero 93. And I tell someone who's 44 that, and they might think you're full of shit because you were 12. Like, do you really? Was that really Sea Hero? And I'm like, brother, I know that race. And not because it was YouTube, because I saw it. You know, uh, like when Spend the Buck started beating Chief's Crown, that broke my heart. When Holy Bull started beating the hair, that broke my heart. When Fly So Free didn't go on at three, that broke my heart. You know, uh, when John Henry retired, that broke my heart. Because uh, you defended those horses, like people defend the Yankees or the Knicks or or the Heat or whatever your team is, you develop those allegiances and then they win or they lose and then you're riding those emotions as a kid, as a kid bro. So like, caveats, Belmont in 83, Swale, that, yellow, you know, that bright orange-yellow, and on a black, black horse with, with pink bandages, and he wires him. You know, that's such an impressive thing as a kid, because you're seeing this black, dark, strong horse with these bright orange silks, and he wires him. That, those colors, that how it affects your senses as a child, it just remains burnt in, into you. You know, the, the pink and blue of Howard Keck, who's the owner of Ferdinand. And he was at beautiful chestnut with this little white blaze. And you see him going up the fence in 86. Ali Sheba almost falling down. That as a kid, you're like, oh my God. And then he regains his footing and beats Bet twice. Those are things like, like, you know, Seeking the Gold versus Wakoit versus Ali Sheba versus, you know, uh, 49er. All these horses that were like in, in that era. You know, they took took turns beating each other. It's like I'm an old person. I have like the mindset of a 60-year-old when it comes to the the history of racing. So when I read comments with people that have gotten to the game later on and are quite successful, or they're horse players or, you know, whatever, and they make statements, you know, I almost feel like an old man saying, ah, these fucking kids, these mangy kids, you know, But it's the day and age that we're in and to heck with it. Everybody's allowed to say whatever they want to say. But the way that I view racing is different. And like, I'm not afraid to take L's because it's impossible. You know, in this day and age, it's so flashy and fancy for many reasons to have an undefeated record or to, you know, never lose. But it's really hard, man. I mean, you saw with Cigar and he was like the ultimate super horse. Like it was like, What? You know, it's, it's, it's unbelievable, but as of late, you, you you see a little more of that because the games managed a little different. But back then, you it was like the boxers, Roberto Rand fought Sugar Ray, Sugar Ray fought Thomas Hearns, Thomas Hearns fought Marvin Hagler. You know, the heavyweights, you had Ken Norton, you had Muhammad Ali, you had uh, Joe Frazier, you had George Foreman. Everybody fought everybody. And even if you took L's, that's okay. It was okay to lose, bro, cuz you knew there was going to be another race for you to throw down against the next big horse. And I know we we started off this question with what does it mean to you as a kid and it's we've gone off topic a little bit cuz we're just flowing. But it's it is interesting when you compare the game and how the horses have changed, but in the end it's how the it's what those old horses mean to me. And how they were campaigned and how they ran, not be, not being afraid of the L, because it's not an L, it's a lesson. So when my horse took L's in the Fountain of youth and people were screaming, why don't you go to a 1X allowance? I was like, because the lesson that he took in that race and you use your horsemanship to see how the horse came out of it if he would have been come back in a negative way or not come back as strong or come back lesser then you go to the the one x but if he took that lesson and moved forward on that lesson that was worth a one x and a two x victory by finishing fourth by learning to get slammed sideways at the gate by going five wide by being forced to chase the pace by being bumped by forte on the turn by being bumped by rocket can and still fighting to the wire that troubled fourth is more impressive than an easy canter in a 1x or catching all the breaks and finishing second with overcoming no ch- overcoming no challenges so it makes a ton of sense so for me i lean on my experience as to the old horses in how this horse was developing and that's why there was that confidence that kept going from race to race. So like, and 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 I don't want to talk about the future because you can only control the present, but, you know, there's such a, uh, in this day of the flash reaction to wins and losses, because you, either you didn't cash a bet or the horse let you down that day. Bro, I've seen Michael Jordan get blown out. I've seen Michael Jordan get lit up for 50 and 60, but what happens that next game? He comes back roofless and shuts that player out and and crushes their soul. Unfortunately, and you know, you I've seen all-stars and hall of famers and other sports have bad games, bad days, but they come back and win the next race or you know, win their next game. So in horse racing, not just necessarily mage or any horse under my portfolio or any horse in general, like if you take an L. He's not a rat. He's not a pig. He's not terrible. He's not the deployment. He's not a fraud. He's not a phony. It's just you had a bad day. Or if you string together some big races and you're in peak form and you crush it, man, then you, obviously you're continuing to prove your greatness. But you have to wait for like the whole body of work before you start anointing or tearing down horses because you have, you know, unlike. Our next at bat, our next game in the series, unfortunately, is not the next day. you got to wait three weeks or a month or five weeks or whatever. And that leaves so much time on the table for you to, like, criticize or or evaluate or or rip to judgment. These days, you don't give the horses enough mulligans to develop a body of, of a resume to make your judgment on what kind of horse he is, you know? We have to learn to t- to appreciate on a race by race basis other factors than simply, you know, he didn't live up to your standards or you know because you lost the wager, he let you down. You know, there's a guy that loved Mage prior to the Florida Derby. He has a blog or whatever, and for being prudent and being respectful, there's no need to bring it up. Like he loved Mage. He chatted about Mage. He was touting Mage. He's like, I'm gonna put my whole 401k college fund for the kids and the horse lost. He ran second. He was fucking furious. This was the, this was the race to cash. Ah, He let me down. Ah, I'm off of him. It's over. It's over. And then the next race he wins at what was it? 18 to 1 is what the derby he came, he went off at or something. 15 right. to 1, 18 to 1. So it's like, you know, you, you, you have to give, you know, we, we, our horses this day and age are on a tight ass leash. And, you know, fortunately for me, since I have the experience that I was blessed to have from childhood, starting at Florida tracks and then New York tracks and being around, seeing how these OG horses were campaigned and how they, how they ran as it went, when you become an owner slash racing manager, I think a little differently, you know, and, uh, That alleviates pressure on the horse. He alleviates pressure on my partners. And um, you just let things come organically and you let the trainer do his job. And, you know, you just make sure he's in the right space and in the right point of view and and, and, and go for the next dance, man. But, uh, yeah, that's all I got to say
0: about that. (laughs) <laughs> Ramiro, when you, when you, you know, you talk about listening to you talk about it, like the, the, the childhood stuff is like, it's wild. Cause like, I didn't really get to have that experience, right? Like I, 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 I kind of had it as I got older. I mean, I became that, that, that fan of the game and lover of the horse. And, and, you know, when I was 16, 17, 18, when I started to kind of get involved, but, you know, I, there's always one thing we never actually talked about it, but, um, you know, you, you went to the university of Miami. So. You had racetracks near you. You know, I, I went to Texas, and and mm-hmm. the, the closest thing that we had was Manor Downs, which was like thirty minutes. But it was like a quarter horse track that you wouldn't, you know, it, it, it had two dollar dosakis, which was which was great. But outside of that, and then we had Rotama Park, that was an hour south. That doesn't count, really. No offense to, our, to my friends at Rotama Park. W- what was it like for you in college as a as a lover of the game? I mean, did you? How often did you go to Gulfstream and Calder when you were at Miami? Uh, all the time.
1: I mean, it was just like, it was, it was, it was what we, you know, it was the, the great thing to do. And, and, and when I would uh, try to take, tri- you know, like you look, we do this with, with, with especially with college football, because the, the schedule comes out and it's like, Oh wow, we have these three away games we can go to maybe one away game we can go to. So, um, you know, you, you, you know, where spring break was, you knew your summer schedule, you know, you knew your, you know when you know you you could might you know hit up certain races like the breeders cups the belmont super saturdays you know um the the winter meet at gulfstream in the, in in that in those years like let's say 92 to 2000 those 8 years which was high school which, which is my high school and college years those championship meets had amazing uh, barns that would come down from New York. It was the there was no Oakland at, at that capa- at this capacity that it is now. You know, you had, you know, Gulfstream was the winter place to be for all those barns that, you know, maybe don't you know don't come down how they once did. So the quality of racing those those, those years you went there as much as you could you know what i mean it was like it was a a regular it was it was like like i said it had much hasn't changed between then and now like it was just it was your hangout you know so you got to see a lot of racing a lot a lot of racing and much like children who are around parents who speak multiple languages will absorb the ability to speak three, four, five, six languages because they're learning it. When you're that young, your brain just absorbs it as a sponge. And then imagine now we're here listening to CDs and DVDs and whatever, trying to learn, you know, Rosetta Stone, a new language, and you're in your car like a dummy, repeating lines over and over again in, in, in this language that you're trying to learn. And it's very difficult. But yet, when you're young, for some reason, you know, I, don't, I couldn't, I'm not, a, I'm not a scientist or a doctor here, but you're you're so young and you learn things like 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 a sponge, like it's almost second nature. Like how I learned Spanish. Like I never studied Spanish in school. And I and I and I've been it took me until I was like 16 before I ever went to South America once. But my Spanish is flawless. Like if the people ask me where are you from I'm from my possible because you talk and I'm like, Well, it's because I learned Spanish when I was a child. My point is being around so many horses since I was a kid, like I was like super up close to like a, a Hansel and Fly So Free and Corporate Report because I was I was hot walking at Saratoga those years and they were like right there. Collar ID, West by West, I was trained by Rusty, um, uh, Phone Trick, um, uh, Meadow Star, Turn Back the Alarm, uh, Uh, just trying to, it's just a, a, a a rush on your mind, but like seeing all these famous horses, all that stuff is, is and, and being told by trainers You know, my grandpa worked for like, uh, Lucian Lauren and then later for Roger Lauren and, and, uh, Sylvester beach was the father of John beach who trained Alidar and, um, being as a little kid meeting some of these amazing people and hearing little things about horses, or seeing little things, and being told that's lead change and look how that horse is striding out all that stuff stays in your brain as a child, it's ingrained, man. So, these days, when I go look at horses, my mind looks at them a little differently because I've been around it so much as a child, it's there is an innateness that wasn't necessarily learned by, by working for this farm or this interning with this company or this agency or whatever. It's a, there's a rawness, but there's an ability there that comes from the plant being watered since it was a seed, bro, you know, which at the same time, those who don't come from it, it is fantastic to see when they don't come from it and they jump into it and whether they're, bloodstock agents or creators of racing partnerships or horse players in your case that got on it late and have success, you tip your cap. You're like, wow, man, you know, you came from out of it and you've, and you've done well in it. Mazel to you. But for someone like myself, who's been around it from, like, from, I like, can, from, I like, can, like, you know, from, from the day that I could crawl, it, it, there's a naturalness to it that I feel comfortable in that arena. When I'm with well, the challenge is for anybody, regardless is the opportunity, right? Like if you don't have capital to play the horses, no matter what you feel mentally, you got to now use whatever money you have to hit your exotics or wagers or whatever to increase, increase your bankroll to then be able to play at a higher level as a horse player, as a, as a bloodstock agent or as an aspire creating or racing partnerships. If you don't have the relationships with people with capital, if you don't have the capital, you're not going to be going to the sales and buying high profile horses and making, you know, money on commission as an agent that way, or, or, or whatever you have to go with the money you're given or being able to scrounge up or, and win. And that's why I started winning races at Finger Lakes and, you know, buying $3,000 horses, $4,000 horses, $5,000 horses, and just, putting them where they belong and claiming 4,000 and claiming 3,500 and winning, but wins add up. You know what I mean? And those wins are educations. So by, you know, cutting my teeth as an owner at, at uh, winning races at Thistle and, 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 and Tampa and Finger Lakes and then at Gulfstream and then with Florida breads and then Florida bread steaks and then having horses that I bought, you know, when open company stakes, and then being able to say, "Well, if I pin hook, I can flip it and make money, which will increase my bankroll." And if I truly believe that what I'm buying has some talent, then it's going to be proven on the racetrack. And it was like, I found them first at one point, so instructor made us a lot of money on the pin hook, a buck sixty-eight fifty. Then one, the breeder's cup was a validation that, yo, I think I could do this. And I got a little bread. And then when he retired to be lucky to be given the opportunity to sell him as a stallion and I sold him to Japan, which creates another door of opportunities. So it's amazing how that water that was planted on a seed for me has taken me on my, on my, you know, on, on my personal journey. And uh, it just shows how magical these horses are, and what they can give to you, change your life, chapter by chapter as you get older. And for me, at this moment, at forty-four, uh, culminating in a Derby victory, it's uh, unbelievable.
0: Romero, for me, uh, there's a there's a, a moment of inspiration that happened in my life, and it's funny, like it kind of happened in a place that that I think is. You had some similar inspiration, but I went to uh I came to Miami for spring break when I was at Texas with one of my friends I went to high school with and and one of our buddies had like moved to to South Florida and was like you know bartending and he kind of ended up in the scene a little bit and he was uh bartending at this club which I'm sure you knew about called Mint. Do you, you, you remember wow. Mint?
1: Yeah that's a that's a good that's a
0: nice one. Yeah so he was bartending at Mint and he, he was kind of a dork in high school and like but he went down there and he's like the coolest guy there. Like, like All these people and Jeremy Shockey was high-fiving him and like all these people are hanging out with him. And and I remember we got on the plane and we left and I said, if he can do that here, surely we can do something in Austin. And then it, I started like promoting these little nights in Austin and, and, and just this – it was just this wild inspiration that I got from the nightlife scene in Miami. Uh, you spent some time in the nightlife scene. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure, man. Um, You know, I had a, I had a, uh, my, my, in in my junior,
1: which which called junior tennis, which is from ten to eighteen. My father, like my mother's side was horses, my father's side was tennis. So I played tennis quite competitively. I played in probably uh, the biggest junior tennis tournament in the world at Orange Bowl, and uh, I I I faced a couple guys that ended up being uh, pretty good professional tennis players, including Fernando Gonzalez. He was like a uh, Olympic uh finalist uh, uh, uh like a grand slam finalist got up to like i believe top five in the world at one point and he owned a uh, chilean derby winner later on in his life was uh, a guy that i played against in, in my in my junior years and we're still buds uh to this day when i discovered in college that you know you're you're not quite gonna go on to be you know it's not going to be a career and you're not going to get to that next step, you know you were just like a, a two year old grade one placed horse you never go on, I, I was at the gym working out and I met. Um, a guy who flash forward all these years later is probably one of the uh, largest nightlife operators in 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 in, in the game in, in the business he's got uh, venues all over the world, Vegas, um, New York, uh, Australia. And I believe soon Miami's and open up some stuff up and uh, went to work for him. And uh, at a place called liquid, which, you know, was owned by a very prominent guy in the business. Uh, And my life just turned completely upside down. I went from someone who was an athlete, not exposed to the fast lane of, you know, fast friends, fast women, fast money, and, and a fast paced party environment to going to work for like a Dwayne Lucas, you know, uh, big time promoter at the biggest, most popular venues in Miami, and um, started doing some really amazing events that were Uh, driven by high profile athletes and high profile celebrities and a lot of money uh, flying into town. You know, it was the era of like Robert De Niro owning venues down there. Madonna had a venue, Prince had a venue. Sean Penn owned the nightclub down there. Um, You know, people like Sting and Puffy and J Lo were were regulars. Mark Anthony were regulars on the on the party scene. Axel Rose. I mean, if I start thinking of like the celebrities that were at events that we threw, and you had everything you had you know, uh, finance guys, stockbrokers from New York flying in on their jets. you had you know, uh, the beautiful models. you had Johnny Versace. you had uh, obviously then and then, then, like, gangsters, mafias, drug dealers, you had nine to five workers, you had regular blue collar patrons, everyone. It's a melting party people trying to come party are in the VIP are in table sections, are on the dance floor, whatever And my job was to manage those personalities, you know, and bring them to the party and cater them at the events. And you learn how to deal with people from different backgrounds and different uh, social statuses, I guess. And um worked in that industry going from promoter um, and even before that a f- guy who passed out flyers to promoting to managing as a marketing director to uh, having like an entertainment company that put on nightclubs and music festivals and fashion shows and and special events openings of you know restaurants and lounges and things like this to having a a share as a as a sweat equity investor in a nightclub and 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 opening up some pretty big venues. So it was very cool to have been around that amazing explosion of of the South Beach uh, business and 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 met a lot of uh, awesome people and then randomly here and there uh, having crossover interactions with them with racing especially with the advent of the pegasus um funny enough snoop dog was was someone that i you know knew from the nightlife industry and 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 he was uh you know booked to do the uh call to the post writers up for the pegasus down at gulfstream and i'll never forget him showing up and i was in his sleep <laughs> with him and dennis rodman and we were just having ourselves a day in there, if you know what I mean. And uh, <laughs> and I gave them the bricks and mortar City of Light double. And can you imagine when like uh, Daz and Corrupt, his J-roller, his hairdresser, his two managers, Dog himself, uh, and then another eight bodyguards and friends play the double bro and it comes through and I was watching the race with them in the suite bro it was like an explosion in there you know everybody cashed everybody went bananas and you had a little racing uh <laughs> a little racing times pop culture uh moment there you know and it's you know, you always say, "How do I, how can you how do we how does that crossover happen again?" Because back in like in the Bing Crosby days, it's what all those people did, you know, and um, and it was one aspect of racing that is pretty cool. Um, and the Pegasus, you know, tries to, you know, to, to and the and the, the Preakness tries to touch up on that. But now we're going into another subject when it comes to marketing and all that. How
0: how about – Craig Burnick wanted me to ask you about on on this topic about the time. You know reason to go here. Were you, him, and Donato? (laughs) (laughs) We're we're in London. (laughs) We're in London. You go to a nice dinner. And and then you said, "Hey guys, let's go to this club. I, I I got this club. I can get us in." And Craig and Donato said that you got in the club and you left them out in the rain. <laughs> Man,
1: you know he brings this up all the time. He he really he really he really he really he really, he really tries to dunk on me with this one all the time. Um, we were we were uh, he had invited me to go out there to a horse. Craig has been the closest. I'm, I'm the oldest of of three full brothers and then I have some half sisters and some stepsisters and I'm the oldest of everybody and of my friends I've always been like a very uh, strong character, strong personality. So I've never you know, had a big brother figure, you know, And, and Craig and I are actually the same grade, funny enough, but he's taken such an amazing role with me as a as a big brother as a mentor more than anything as a mentor as an amazing friend um doing the Donny Brasco you know like this is a friend of ours this is a friend of mine uh with me and uh it's really helped me have relationships with people that I don't think I would ever been able to meet professionally because I was nowhere near their sphere um but we were I was able to meet them as men just as 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 on a, on, a, on a man-to-man friend level and, and it actually it's made my relationships with a lot of these guys that are very successful and prominent in our business to be very to be, to be even more genuine and more respectful because the, the relationship the friendships weren't didn't come from business. they came from, from being from personal first. And um, he invited me to go to London for this sale at new market. he's like, you're going to meet a ton of people. It's very good for your brand. You, you know, it's, it's something you definitely need to do to learn, to see these kind of horses out here and to experience this. So I was like, all right, cool. Let's ride out there. And I was like, well, look, I mean, I want to go to London. There's a, it's an amazing nightclub scene there. There's going to be a great party um, over there. And I knew, knew a really big, big DJ who, who spun at this club. And man, the way that London's nightlife is, it's very much like old old Manhattan clubs and and old like those Euro clubs of Miami in like the really early 90s. It's still like that. Cause like nowadays here, as long as you have your Amex black card, it doesn't matter if you're 10 guys at the door. It doesn't matter if you're 10 like ugly looking, you know, dudes, you're getting into the venue. It doesn't matter that you didn't bring any girls. As long as you have the money, you're you're getting in. Back then, uh, it was very selective to get in. And Europe still runs their offense a little more like that in the nightlife scene. Like it's just, and look, I'm not here to talk about being inclusivity. These days, it's almost you have to give a disclaimer because you don't want to offend anybody. But, you know, I'm just talking about the way it is in that industry, whether you agree with it or not. But it's very exclusive, they exclude a lot of people. You know, and that leads to a lot of, you know, people being upset. I didn't get in. I didn't get out. But in London, they run the things. It's like a tight ship out there. So my boy, who's the DJ, he was a high-profile DJ over there, like got those things all over the world, man. He was like, yo, I'm spinning in London this day. I got you. So I was like, awesome. So he goes, just come. We'll hang in the DJ booth. There's going to be celebrities there. We'll party. We'll have ourselves a night. I'm like, beautiful. Craig hits me up and in- Craig hits me up and is like um is like, yo, let, I want to go out there. How do I change to because um, my I know my iPad thing, my my, my earphone's gonna is gonna cache probably. So how do I change audio? Well, oh we'll see.
0: Yeah, well if when your iPads when they die, it'll just go to you could just switch it to speaker. Okay, but you speaker. could go yeah, okay. it'll go speaker. You could so, also just go like settings. There's a little thing on settings you can hit too. Well, I will
1: just let it die out. So Craig goes to me, "Hey, let's go have some drinks." I'm like, "All right, cool." I'm like, "These guys." That...
0: Oh, I, lo- I, lo- like, I, lo- yeah. I lost you. I lost you. at these guys. I lost you at these yeah. guys. But you're back yeah, now. Yeah, I'm like these guys. They don't
1: care about clubs, man. You know what I mean? They're they're, they're here for the horses, and I'll see them tomorrow in, the in New Market, whatever. Like. I'm going to go out and, and so, but the thing is, we meet at this really fancy bar, like a really nice, like a bar bar, you know, like oak, gold chandeliers, like really, you know, looks like there's like, you know, people there wearing like, you know, leather bound books and like, you know, really like February is like, it's a really fancy high class bar we're drinking. In. But then one round becomes two rounds become three rounds and everybody's loosening up and everybody's laughing. So now we've had like 3 or 4 and everybody's buzzing and it's like so what are you doing now? And I'm like well I'm going to this nightclub. And they're everyone like, well, let's go. <laughs> and I'm like shit. Well let's go, why not, you know? And we when we get there it starts it starts it's a it's a rainy London night and it starts raining. So now we're walking, man. We're walking holding blocks but we're hammered. And we get to the club and right away JK it's like if your horse breaks out of the gate and you check back to like a speed horse checks back to last, you know, the race is over. It's a five eighth race and you've been left. You know, it's over. Cause there's like a mob of people. I see the faces on the door people. And I'm like, this is not going to be good. Three dudes, older dudes going to the door of this club where, and I go, we're cooked, you know, like we're, we're not getting into my mind. I'm like, Oh, the embarrassment. And of all people. It's like Craig Burnick, who personally is fantastic and professionally super successful. And you got like the, the number one bloodstock agent in the game. And I'm about to just absolutely sell him down the river, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like the Titanic ship is sinking and I'm getting on the lifeboat. <laughs> <laughs> I know the ship is going to go. I'm going down, but this captain isn't staying on boat and I'm reading the room and and they're standing next to me like, hey, so where's your guy? And, I, and I'm like, oh, this is just going to be terrible. So my buddy comes out, the DJ comes out because I texted the out there and he looks and I'm like, hey, it's me and my two guy friends. And he looks over my shoulder and was like, Ramiro, <laughs> hold on and he turns to the door, girl and says something and i can just see you know this this is a you know this this is my this is my world we're cooked and she she's like you could just, basically she says no fucking shot so he turns to me and he goes ramira i can't do anything it's just you and <laughs> in the most terrible reflex i was just like okay and he opens the rope he, i go in he closes and i go sorry guys <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> How they didn't disown me at that moment as a friend, bro. Uh, I, 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 I cooked them pretty good there, man, and uh, they, they have not stopped hammering me. And hey, I went in there and I was in the DJ booth. They brought over like bottles of champagne. Rihanna was in the building, and uh, what's that song? Uh, 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 uh. Uh, pay me what you owe me. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, better have
1: my money. Yeah, 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 yeah. You better have my money. They were playing that song all night, bro. I had like the smoke gun. Ah, <laughs> doing the smoke gun champagne. I'm posting Instagram, and Craig is like, you piece of <laughs> a, And then the best thing was the next morning, there's a car service to go to Newmarket, and I show up fresh as a daisy like hey guys (laughs) are you ready to go to new market and their face was like you we should make you walk to fucking new market my god, go walk to the go walk to new market man and uh that was funny bro
0: that was it was a terrible sellout but jk uh, <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do. Sometimes, you know what I mean. Uh, sp- speaking of speaking of music, your your Instagram your Instagram stories, your music selection, top notch, very high quality stuff you got going there. <laughs> well, we grew up in the Hype Williams era.
1: <laughs> we grew up in the music video era, right or wrong? Yeah, you know? yeah, for sure. For MTV, sure. TRL, uh, Hype Williams videos. So um, everybody posts on social media for different reasons you know, uh, for myself, Twitter, I love it for the facts. I love the historical replays, historical data. I love race results, pedigree updates. I love the facts on there. Um, Instagram. I, you know, I come from a family that used to carry around trunks, like gypsies, trunks of photo albums and, 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 and photos. So I'm a big picture taker, video taker. I love recording memories. For me, memories are the greatest things to look back on, and I loved MTV and Hype Williams and his and his music videos. So, uh, I I make my 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 you know it used to be fifteen seconds and now I think it's three. I'm do like a minute on the stories, so it's like you can create your own little music video. So as a as it's my own little inside joke to myself. I make those that those are my little shout outs to Hype Williams. I do so when you say that. I hope you know that that's where that's coming from. I'm making my own music videos <laughs> to uh, to that, including a Venice skate park video with,
0: I like it like that. <laughs> I like, like it like <laughs> that. That's a, uh, that's a, uh, so I, I, it, this is one of those stories that it, it's one of those stories. And this is, this is, this is reading the room and being aware. This is one of those stories. I'm going to tell you right now, if you're listening, We'll do our best. It's probably not going to be as funny to you as it was to us on that day. So it's 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 one of those moments where I'm not going to build it up and then drop the punchline and wait for everyone to laugh. I'm just going to tell the story, uh, just to just to kind of to feel it out. So, and, and and Ram, you jump in when you feel uh, like it's necessary. So we we're all hanging out. At, this is the Breeders' Cup. It's actually the Breeders' Cup that you talked about with 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 Rashard when we hit the the big pick six um and they actually posted that picture like on Barstow sports of how much we scored for or whatever. Mm. So, you know, when you if you've never been to Breeders Cup, or if you have been to Breeders Cup, uh, there's the breakfast marquee um that Faze usually puts on where people show up in the morning and and you're and there's this delicious food and there's just all the who's who of racing and you're just hanging out and you're if you want to have some coffee, if you want to have a mimosa, and there's, there's the celebrities, there's Owen Wilson, there's Bob Baffert, there's, there's Chad Brown, there's Todd Pletcher, there's Dale Romans, there's all the people in racing. Uh, and you watch the horses train and you just hang out and, and, you know, it, it's, it opens at like six, sometimes even earlier. And then it, it'll go till like nine 30, 10, it starts to slow down. And then it really kind of starts to slow down and we're all just sitting around and it's, it's me, Ramiro, Sean Tugel. There was someone else with us i, I i'm going did, did dom come with us was dom with us no ah, it wasn't dom it wasn't um anyway so we're there's I, it was maybe liam i, liam. Anyway, liam. I it liam. was liam yeah, liam liam o'rourke so liam we're hanging O'Rourke. out and you know and and i didn't have anything to do that day i was like i i got there early for something so i was literally i had nothing to do for the rest of the day because normally i would say go to hell i'm not doing what ramiro and sean suggested to do they're like hey it's it's one o'clock or it's noon or eleven or whatever it was. Let's drive to Venice Beach, which if you know anything about LA, that you're that's an hour and 30 minute commitment to get to Venice Beach because of traffic <laughs> and 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 we're in someone's rental car that's like not that nice, you know what I mean? It's small, it's like the windows aren't tinted. I have the I'm car sick, we're all starving. It was a nightmare. <laughs> so I remember you complaining about the you're like, what are you talking about? It's an hour and a half. Are you crazy? <laughs> so so we, we we get in the car, we we go, we get there, we get to Venice Beach, we go to this little like Italian restaurant and we eat. And you know, you know, you, you've been in the car locked up for, for that long. You, you know, at least me, I kind of I kind of attack. So I'm I'm drinking a first glass of whatever it was, goes down quick, we're eating pizza, then another, then another, then another, and the next thing you know, I, you know, I've tied one on pretty good. And we just said, okay, well, we're here now. We're at Venice Beach. So what do we do? Do we walk around? So we go walk around and we end up at this skate park and there's this grown man, like with his headphones on, sunglasses, he's dressed sort of like a hippie and he's on a longboard in the skate park where like these kids are doing tricks and he's just cruising around just cruising around, cruising around, and and Ramiro and I made a guess of what song he was listening to, and we came up with that song. I like it like that, and 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 that he was just cruising around there, hanging out. And obviously, it wouldn't have been nearly as funny if we weren't as many drinks in as we were. But uh, it was uh, it was a highlight. So I I don't see Ramiro now without starting with the uh, the song. I like I like it like, like that. Because like what was amazing was you had you had like skater kids,
1: you had. Um, young kids and everyone's are, are performing tricks they're like they're being really aggressive they're doing with their with their tricks they're really I mean all these wannabe Tony Hawks everyone's doing like the you know these aggressive tricks and and they're and they're gunning and there's that one guy that one guy with the old school headphones over his ears <laughs> and he's just gliding just cruising and you know we're we, we, we had buzz flowing so anything is silly and remember that guy we were like how about that guy what music is this because he was like if he was on that skate park by himself in his mind there was nobody else there but him you know and he was just gliding and remember that bro what is he listening to and you just, you just go i like you like <laughs> <laughs>
0: And then, and, then we had to, yeah. and then we had to drive home in, in another hour and a half traffic, but it was a well worth it trip. Uh, I, 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 uh, definitely. <laughs> um, one, one more I wanted to get you with Rand before we get out of here. I know you got a bunch of stuff going on and, and we'll catch you this summer up at Saratoga, but, uh, Dom Savita is one of our friends. He, he had a good one that he said, and I have a feeling that you'll, you'll tell the story well. He said, uh, he, well, first of all, he gave you a, a great compliment about how much you helped him when his father passed and just, uh, being a great friend for him. But it, it, at one point you guys went up to Ocala and like met with one of his dad's friends who apparently was a maniac.
1: Oh my God. That was insane that Dom even remembers that. And I actually even forgot about that until you just said so, man. Uh, you know, I was dating a girl uh, that knew Dom from childhood and, and she told me, Hey, uh you you should um you should meet my friend. He loves horse racing. Him and his father love horse racing. And you know, anytime there's a little competitiveness in you when someone you don't know brings up something that you love like horse racing, you say, yeah, all right, this guy knows horse racing. Yeah, all right. And they introduced us and we hit it off like on a on a on a phone <laughs> mandate and and uh, we were like man well I'm going to Ocala to see um uh, to see uh this yearling that I, that I had, that was, that was, you know, in, in oh, he's already a two year old, that I just got broken and I was training and Dom was like, I'd love to go with you. So our first hangout as, as buddies was that was that trip. I, I drove up to Boca from Miami jumped in Dom's car. Um, first time I ever met Dom, he had, uh, he had uh, some great Cuban cigars and we have ridden all the way up to Ocala and saw the horse train or whatever whatever but but in between there we did meet with one of it just like it was the most randomest of things because it was like a it was like a it felt like 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 it's just someone an eccentric person uh completely out of what you know the the, the, completely out of the loop of like yours of, of who you're used to talking to and they were just really eccentric it felt like I was like in like a, 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 like a, like a public junkyard. It was just the most odd, odd, odd thing. I, I don't know if Dom has, um, has an amazing story or can remember an amazing story of like at that particular time. But what struck me was just how weird this dude was and, and how weird and eccentric it was. And, and he was just telling us a lot of old stories of his father. And, you know, it was just like, it was also the first time I was hanging out with Dom. So, um, did he, did he remind you of anything that might have happened
0: that day? No, well, he didn't say what it was. He just said, he said, uh, he just said ask him about the crazy guy and how he, he left. Was... What do you say? Uh, he said he's a nut job. He said we couldn't <sighs> leave quick enough. And then he said, he said, not the time he tried to kill me at Jake's house, <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know. So uh, so it basically, it, it's what it was. It was this weird-ass guy that knew Dom's dad. And it was like, imagine he had like, a, like, a, like an eagle on his shirt with like USA shorts and like a Harley bandana. And I'm like, how does this guy even know Dom's dad? And it's like one of those, you know, the, you know like in, in Hannibal Lecter, like, like it puts the lotion on the skin it was like the the guy like bill the butcher or whatever it is like i'm like are we gonna get murdered here like are we gonna be like kidnapped Like this guy's so weird and and just going off his rocker and i was like how am i how did i find myself here how do we get the hell out of here you know just it it was a it was a super awkward (laughs) random moment we just had had to get the hell out of there Uh,
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, Ramiro, I we uh, you know I told you um, um, I I texted you the other night and I just said I'm, I'm sitting here giggling that, uh, that that you just won the Kentucky Derby. I know that uh, I speak for all of us in our in our friend group and in just the industry and, and I know your colleagues at Phasing have to be extremely proud of you and it's uh, it's 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 an unbelievable experience a once in a lifetime experience. I, I know how I felt felt a couple of times betting on the Derby winner. I can only imagine what it was like to. Uh, be a part of the team so it's it's I just want to make sure that you you know the, the most heartfelt congratulations.
1: No thank you my man it's uh it's super special man it's great to be able to, to share this with uh family and friends and uh to be know that you're um you know for as much love as you put out you get it back man it feels pretty pretty awesome just as much as the success of the race it um it's it's the it's the emotion and feeling you're getting from from your friends and family that you do love, it it, it feels great. And it it makes this experience even that much more special. So hopefully there's more uh, amazing moments to come. And,
0: uh, you know, this won't be the last time we have one of these uh, plus ones, baby. We'll be rooting for you at the, uh, the eighth poll, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks in Maryland. So you can have that puncher's chance one more time and no doubt. And uh, we'll get that one done. And then we'll see, uh, we'll see it in three more weeks. <laughs> we'll
1: see what happens we'll take it one at a time brother for sure all
0: right man congratulations we'll talk to you soon thanks, thanks for the time
1: all right brother take care man peace
0: ram i appreciate it um it's, it's it's crazy you know i i i started watching the kentucky derby pretty seriously in around 2004 2005 and you see uh a bunch of people win these races, and, and and jockeys, and trainers, and owners, and you see these winter circle pictures, and um, you see these interviews after the race are over, and the street senses, the big browns, the the animal kingdoms, they all have another's, the uh, the, the Nyquist's, the, the list goes on, the always dreamings, and. There's some people as I got involved in racing that I'm like, oh, I know that person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there's, there's, oh there's Terry Finley with, with West Point. Oh, there's, okay. There, that happens. But this was just a weird one for me because Ramiro's a friend. To see a friend win the Kentucky Derby, the biggest race in the world, despite the money, right? I understand there's the Saudi race. I understand there's the Breeders' Cup Classic. But let's be honest, the Kentucky Derby is the biggest race in the world. And Ramiro won it. Uh, It's pretty cool, and I'm I'm glad that we got a chance to catch up. I want to thank our friends at Qatar Racing once again for their support. Congratulations on an unbelievable Derby Week, Derby Weekend, with three big winners at Churchill Downs, uh, important horses that will go on to do a lot of fun stuff. Can't wait to see what Caravelle does next. Can't wait to see what goes on with Ever So Mischievous. And then, obviously, uh, the filly, you almost had me. Excited to see what is next for her. Uh, I appreciate everyone tuning in. I hope the derby went better for you financially than it did for me. No good. I couldn't get anything together, but it did go good uh for some people around me, so that works. Um I'm gonna I'm gonna run out of here quick. We had a pretty long episode and uh there's lots of stuff to digest getting ready for the preakness. We'll see what happens with Forte, with Mage, with First Mission, and uh it, it should be a wonderful Renewal. Uh, heads up, I think I'm going to get one in next week and I'm going to try to record two next week because I'll be traveling to Italy for a very, very, very important day in my life. And so I'm going to probably be out of town for a while, but I'll try to get two recorded to keep you rolling uh, through the preakness and all of that. I appreciate everyone tuning in and we'll talk soon. I need to know everything. Who in the what in the where I need everything. Trust me, I hear what you're saying, but I like it's new what you're telling me. I'm curious, George, I hop in the Porsche, five and a horse, I'm ready for war, I'm coming for throws to turn to a ghost, I need to know everything. Now you be surprised at the info you get is by letting them talk, so I'm letting them talk.